الحمد لله الحمد لله رب العالمين الحمد لله الذي هدانا سبلنا وما كنا لنهتدي لولا أن هدانا الله وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله لا معبود بحق سواه إذا قضى أمرا فإنما يقول له كن فيكون لا راد لأمره وأشهد أن سيدنا وهادينا ونبينا محمد صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم عبد الله ورسوله وما كان الله ليعذبهم وأنت فيهم وما كان الله معذبهم وهم يستغفرون من يطع الله ورسوله وأولي الأمر من المؤمنين فلا مضل له ومن يعص الله ورسوله وأولي الأمر من المؤمنين فلا هادي له ومن يتوكل على الله فهو حسبه والله غالب على أمره ولكن أكثر الناس لا يعلمون أما بعد Dear committed Muslims As a backdrop to the coming couple of weeks which will mark the beginning of 35 years of Muslims being here in the street every Friday as a backdrop to all of that I would like to remind you of an ayah and in expanding the meaning of the ayah I will touch on some other ayat an ayah that is very familiar to many of us we say it at a time of need أَمَّنْ يُجِيبُ الْمُضْطَرَّ إِذَا دَعَاهُ وَيَكْشِفُ السُّوءِ And the continuation of that is وَيَجْعَلُكُمْ خُلَفَاءَ الْأَرْضِ أَإِلَاهُمْ مَعَ اللَّهِ The rough meaning of this ayah is Who is it? who will respond to the dua of a person who's desperately in need. Who is it? أَمَّنْ يُجِيبُ الْمُطَّرَّ إِذَا دَعَاهُ وَيَكْشِفُ السُّوءُ 
and then he relieves the distress or the negative condition. I'm sure we've heard and repeated this Quranic statement many times. And we express it from many of us from sincere hearts and minds. But life has its way of affecting us in an unwanted manner. Many of us think when we call upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala we think of him only in that moment when we need him. Before that, before there was a dire need, our thoughts were very light concerning Allah. After the need goes away, we return to where we were and once again our thoughts are very dismissive of Allah's presence. There is an ayah in the Quran that says, وَإِذَا مَسَّ الْإِنسَانَ ضُرٌ دَعَانَ لِجَنْبِهِ أَوْ قَاعِدًا أَوْ قَائِمًا فَإِذَا كَشَفْنَا عَنْهُ ضُرَّهُ مَرَّ كَأَنْ لَمْ يَدْعُنَا If man, al-insan, that's you and me and anyone who has that social human nature in them, what happens? This is the way we behave. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is opening up our eyes, telling us, look at yourselves, observe yourselves. وَإِذَا مَسَّ الْإِنسَانَ ضُرٌ دَعَانَا لِجَنْبِهِ أَوْ قَاعِدًا أَوْ قَائِمًا If you, if you are affected by some type of harm and you feel, feel that you need Allah, you at that moment, you in the depth of you, you remember Allah and so you ask him oh Allah please help me I'm in distressful times I'm under pressure I'm getting very upset with a certain matter and there are many irritants in life that can weigh heavily upon us in those moments in those days we are fervently reminded of Allah فَإِذَا كَشَفْنَا عَنْهُ الضُّرُّ or ضُرَّهُ When we relieve him of this harm مَرَّ كَأَنْ لَمْ يَدْعُنَا بِالْأَمْسِ He just passes by. Allah is saying this same human being, this same individual passes by as if nothing 
had happened, as if we haven't relieved him of what he or she was in. As if he never called upon us just yesterday. What is eye-catching about this is Allah's phraseology, Marra, he just passes by. Which means Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is always with you. Why do you just pass by him as if he's not around? This, in a very individualistic manner, this reminds us of some events. Uh, you know, sometimes it's easy to explain an incident that will give further meaning to what we're trying to say, what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is trying to impart to us. There's, and this type, this little story circulates among certain ulama, certain people who had knowledge of this. Way back in the 1930s, the late 30s, French tourists went to Morocco. And there was a group of them together. And one uh, individual, one lady in that group, just before they were about to leave and go back to France, they were in a Ribat, major Moroccan city. She saw a dream, a person came to her looking very well, extreme, extreme white clothes on him, and he offered her a book. She took the book, and that person left. This is in her dream. She looked closely at the book, and the book was the Qur'an. She was so moved by this dream that she had, that when her group wanted to return to France, she said, I'm not leaving. I'm not going back to France. They said, why? What, what? She said, well, I just had a personal experience. I had, you know, I'm, I'm just not going back. I'm staying here. She stayed, not for one week or one month or one year. She stayed for 15 years. Now we know that the Prophet, may Allah's peace and blessings be upon him and his, when he appears to a person, مَنْ رَآنِي فِي الْمَنَامْ فَقَدْ رَآنِي As he said, Whoever sees me in his dream has actually seen me. It's not like some other images that come to us in our rapid eye movement time of the night, in our deep sleep. No. If someone sees the Prophet, he has seen the Prophet. 
So she stayed, she learned the language of the Quran. She wanted to understand this book. She spent all of those years there. And then it just happened that most of the same people who came with her on the first time, that first time when they went to Al-Ribat in Morocco, they came back as tourists again. And they wanted to see her, they wanted to meet her. And it happened during that time that she had felt pain in her chest. Terrible pain. She went to see the doctor and the doctor diagnosed her. She had cancer. And this happened at the time when her friends and her colleagues came as tourists again to Morocco, many years later. They told her, come with us to France. Medicine there is better, the doctors are better, more technology, more facilities, etc. She said, no, I'm not going. They pleaded with her, she said, no, I, I made up my mind, I'm not going. They left, and then in the moment of need, in that moment of extreme need, she oriented herself towards Allah in one particular evening, and she said, all the cells in my body were in the presence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I felt like I was bathed in His presence. The following morning after she went to sleep, the following morning she woke up, she didn't feel anything. There was no lump, there used to be a lump, there used to be a coloration, the doctor had told her her cancer had metastasized. And then when she felt like there's nothing, she's back to normal. All the symptoms that she had were gone. She said, I'm going back to the doctor and I'm going to see what the exams are going to tell us. The doctor ran the exams and he said, there's nothing. You're normal. You have a good, a clean bill of health. And then she meets one of the Muslims who <coughs> you may call has a close relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and she tells him what happened and she tells him also you Muslims 
You do not know what you have. And this has been our chronic problem. We, ha- we who identify as Muslims, we have given a bad image to Islam. Because, as she said, we do not appreciate what we have. There's another instance. There's a uh, very well-known Muslim, by practice, a physician and a scientist. He passed away some years ago. He had, a, he had many health problems. He had about tw- over 20 different type of procedures done to him. He wasn't bedridden. He wasn't disabled. He just had health problems. And he, he's a person who also takes a very close look, a very thoughtful approach to what Allah Jalla wa'ala says. So once he got this terrible pain in his back, terrible pain, he couldn't bear it. He went to the doctor, the doctor diagnosed him and said, you have a kidney stone that is almost larger than your kidney and we have to operate. He said, no, I'm not, I don't want, I can't take any more operations. I'm sick and tired of medical procedures. I don't want it. He went back home. Same thing. He approached Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with every cell, with every membrane in his body in an evening. And throughout those moments of contact with Allah, Tabaraka wa Ta'ala, after that he went to sleep. And he says when he woke up, when he went to the bathroom, he had coming out with his urine what looked like an immense amount of powder powder what had happened was that stone that he had in his kidney became a form of powder that came out during his urination this is he himself is a doctor and a scientist but he's not a doctor and scientist who's detached from Allah. He's one who is in the presence of Allah. And when you're in the presence of Allah, this is what happens. When you're in the presence of Allah, and this is, this is our problem as human beings. Our problem is, our understanding of Allah is, he's like a mechanical being. We don't say it like that. No Muslim will ever say Allah 
تبارك وتعالى is a mechanical God. No Muslim will say that. But the way we behave is that, oh, Allah is somewhere way up there. We don't think about him here and now. He tells us, وَأَنَا أَقْرَبُ إِلَيْهِ مِنْ حَبْلِ الْوَرِيدِ I'm closer to you, to him, than his jugular vein. وَإِذَا سَأَلَكَ عِبَادِي عَنِّي فَإِنِّي قَرِيبٌ And if my subjects were to ask you about me, I am near. With all this information coming our way, Ayat al-Kursi, we always read, Allahu la ilaha illahu al-hay al-qayyum la ta'khuduhu sinatu wa la nawm hayyun qayyumun La ta'khuduhu sinatu wa la nawm He's present, he's active, he's involved, but who thinks about him like that? During the course of our hours, during the course of our days, our nights, as long as we are conscious, who thinks about Allah here, with me, now? We think you know, he created, and some of us think he created, and then he left, he left the world to the natural laws that he also created. But to tell them, oh yeah, he's involved, he's here, right here, right now, how can he be all of... That's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Wajibun wujud. We can't dodge this fact. But our psychology, psychology dodges this fact. When Allah wants to demonstrate to us to this in the course of the prophets of his... When Ibrahim, when they attempted to kill Ibrahim by throwing him into the fire, wouldn't, have been, wouldn't it have been within Allah's capacity to have, the, to have clouds and rain come down and extinguish the fire? That could have happened. But he wanted to prove to us that he is present. He's there in the moment. So they threw him into the, the, the society of Ibrahim, threw him into the fire. And Allah said, Ya narukuni bardan wa salaman ala Ibrahim. That means Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was with Ibrahim in those moments of hardship. And he wanted to demonstrate to the people who thought that they were going to have it their way. They thought, oh, we can take care of Ibrahim. He's not, not a problem. Just throw him in the fire and get rid of him. They threw him in the fire, but they couldn't get rid of him. Why? Because you can't get rid of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ibrahim was with Allah. If Ibrahim was with himself, or if Ibrahim was absent-minded about Allah, they could have gotten it their way, but they didn't. Another demonstration of this is Musa with his people. They were running from a superpower. The military was in pursuit of them. And the head of the military, the commander-in-chief, the pharaoh himself, was on their track. And then Musa and his people, they approach this sea. Where are they going to go now? Behind them, 
at a distance is the Pharaoh and all the military might that he has. And in front of them, there's the sea. What's going to happen here? So <coughs> the people of Musa, the people who are with Musa, Banu Israel, they said, Inna la mudrakun. They're going to catch up with us. Inna la mudrakun. Who would say something like that? Those who don't have Allah present in their lives. An understanding of an active, of an immediate, of an involved, of a caring, of a protective Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So what, how did Musa respond to, that, to them? He said, absolutely not. The word kalla is a strong word of la. It's not just, oh no. He said, absolutely not. Kalla. Inna ma'ya rabbi sayahdeen. I am sure my sustainer is with me and he is going to guide. Now, there is a little detail here that not many people pay much attention to. Musa did not say, Inna ma'ana rabbana sayahdeena. He didn't say, indeed, certainly, our sustainer is with us. He's going to guide us. Why? Because he knew the people, the type of people who were with him. They weren't the types that had Allah in their lives, in their hearts, in their psychology, in their minds. They were not that type. So he said, Inna ma'ya rabbi sayahdeen. I have my sustainer with me and he's going to guide. And then what happened next? We said, strike the sea with your staff, with your stick. And then we know what happened after that. This was done by whom? Allah responded to whom? To people who just remember Allah when they go to the masjid? Just remember Allah when there is an occasion? Just remember Allah when they go to salah? Is Allah going to help these types? Or He's going to help the types that have been in His company? Throughout all moments of life, all the details of life, whether they are good, comfortable, or whether they are bad and stressful, whatever they are, they know that He is with them and they are with Him. Now, I hope the next time you utter, you speak this ayah, you will understand that 
even though Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is accessible at all time, Allah is not telling you, never told anyone, that I'm only accessible at the time of salah, or I'm only accessible during Ramadan, or I'm only accessible when you go to Hajj. No, Allah is accessible in every moment of your life. From the time you were born until the time you pass on. And if if this fact is not seeded in, our, in the depths, in the core of ourselves, then, you know, we ask Allah, we orient ourselves toward Him, we make dua, we express supplications, etc and then we find out that look you know I, I i'm not getting any response now remember this area applies to the individuality of a person there's a singular here one person muttar Allah didn't say He said When the circumstances in life seem to be turning against or crushing the nerves of you as an individual Allah Jalla wa'ala is asking who is there to respond If you call upon him أَمَّنْ يُجِيبُ الْمُضْطَرَّ إِذَا دَعَاهُ وَيَكْشِفُ السُّوءُ Many times a question comes up how did Muslims in, in those first years first generations of Islam how did they manage to spread throughout most of the known world at that time how did this happen it's always been a puzzle in the minds of people who looked at this phenomenon how did something like this happen in that short of a time it happened one of the ways to answer this it happened because the the Muslims who were following the Prophet were motivated. There was an extensive motivation in them to go out and tackle overwhelming powers. Powers that were oppressive and powers that were Basically, like we see in today's world, powers that render populations into non-entities. Populations, forget about individuals. Millions of people, they don't show up in the power structure. No one considers them. So when the Muslims stepped out of the Arabian Peninsula, being infused with the 
dynamics of the Prophet, they found a responding population. Because these populations, they wanted to get rid of the overlords in those countries. The Muslims were not communicating. They didn't know the languages of these people. They couldn't go there and explain to them what... The only thing they could, the only thing they could communicate is their behavior. And this is the language that is understood by everyone. You can go to the furthest corner of the earth, not know the language that's being spoken there. But if your behavior speaks with justice, with compassion, with care, everyone will understand that language. Now I want to bring, without going through historical details, I want to bring ourselves up to our time here, right now. We have abusive and oppressive power structures in the world. And we have those who feel comfortable saying that they are committed Muslims. Why is it that we don't have the gravity of these people coming towards the motivation of the committed Muslims. Committed Muslims are on one side are motivated to do away with injustice and there's a gravity by non-Muslims to do away with injustice. Why isn't there a connection between the motivation, the movement on one side and the gravity on the other side? Why? Because the language of behavior is not there. To be more down to the point. We all know that those who occupy Palestine, better yet, we know that, that those who colonize Palestine, the Zionists, are oppressive, abusive of power, crimin war criminals, etc. Is there a behavioral language by the Muslims to say to the Jews, we want to rid you of Zionism, of the Israeli power structure that would do justice to you and to us? Do we have that type? I'm not talking about here just verbal communication. Even verbal communication we don't have. But I'm talking about behavioral communication. Who are the Muslims who can behave in a way that once they express themselves, even those who think the Muslims are their enemies will understand that the Muslims are on our side. The Muslims are not our enemies. It's going to take the maturity of the individual Muslim who will know that Allah is with him, with them, 
to make a breakthrough from the log jam that many of us are in. أَمَّنْ يُجِيبُ الْمُضْطَرَّ إِذَا دَعَاهُ وَيَكْشِفُ السُّوءُ وَيَجْعَلُكُمْ خُلَفَاءَ الْأَرْضِ أَإِلَاهٌ مَعَ اللَّهِ أقول قولي هذا وأستغفر الله لي ولكم أدعوه سبحانه وأنتم على يقين بالإجابة وتوبوا إلى الله إن الله تواب رحيم الحمد لله بجميع المحامد على جميع النعم وصلى الله وسلم على المبعوث خيرا ورحمة وهدى لكافة الأمم محمد النبي الأمي وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم Dear committed brothers and sisters أيها المؤمنون We try as much as possible In our behavior, this is a behavioral stand here every Friday. And we'll talk a little more about the experiences that have developed from this behavioral position throughout the course of the past 35 years or so. What we are trying to say, we here, is the human effort but beyond that it is Allah's will كُلَّ يَوْمٍ هُوَ فِي شَأْنٍ وَلَا تَحْسَبَنَّ اللَّهَ غَافِلًا عَمَّا يَعْمَلُ الظَّالِمُونَ We would not be here if it wasn't for Saudi Arabia that's the truth of the matter. There's not, and everyone knows this. Some people make believe that ah, there's nothing going on. A few people there on the sidewalk, and it's all over. If you are, if you are entirely physical, if you are thoroughly material, then that's the way you're expected to speak and think. But as Muslims, if we know we are in Allah's presence and He is with us trying to do His will, we have no problems of saying Saudi Arabia and the supporters of Saudi Arabia and the clients of Saudi Arabia and the bosses of Saudi Arabia are responsible for this. Look at this. This is happening in a country that prides itself on democracy. And it is the number one supporter of a monarchy that is in its DNA, in its genetic material, it is opposed to shura, 
elections, democracy, washawirhum fil amr, wa amruhum shura bainahum. They have no such thing. This Saudi Arabian ruling regime has made enemies of practically everyone in the area. It has made enemies of the Syrians. It has made enemies of the Iraqis. It has made enemies of the Yemenis. It has made enemies of the Egyptians. It has made enemies of the Libyans. It has made enemies of the Qataris. It has made enemies of Hamas. It has made enemies of Hezbollah. It has made, not to speak about Islamic Iran. Why can't it make enemies of the Zionists and imperialists? Can't you open your eyes and see who is with Allah and who is against Allah? Right now, they're beginning to speak about compulsory military service in Saudi Arabia. Compulsory military service. It's not a policy, it's not obligatory, but just beginning to speak about it in the social media means that there is a trend that may end up next year or in the near future, they're going to draw their unemployed, their youth to the military. To do what? To fight against Zionist colonization of the Holy Land or against those who are stealing the resources of the Muslims in their backyards? No. They're probably going to arm them to kill other Muslims. Last week, an Israeli F-16 was downed. And the trigger-happy Israelis wanted to go to war to the north of them in Syria and in Lebanon. But there was a conversation between them, their prime minister, and the prime minister in Russia. And they reconsidered because they thought well, uh, we're not going to go to war against Russia here. We better, you know, try something else or wait for an opportune set of circumstances to do what we want to do. Little do they know throughout all of these years, they have created, the, the Zionist interest has created a war atmosphere in all of the region. And there's immediate casualties to that war atmosphere. Millions of people have been killed or injured or displaced. This is not an exaggeration. But on the other hand, there's a generation that is growing up in this war atmosphere. And they, not that they wanted to do this, this is an unwanted consequence 
But they are militarizing that generation to take them on. And we may have enough years left in our life to see this generation that is growing up right now waking up to the roar of fighter warplanes in their skies or the exchange of artillery fire or the explosions that are going off in major cities, in the countryside, all over that area. What do they think they are doing? And they, and they say they're smart. The Israelis claim that they are smart people. They, they're probably the smartest, dumbest people in the world to be doing what they are doing. And then a retired Saudi general who has been making many statements that Saudi Arabia and Israel should reconcile. They should, you know, work together because their common enemy is Iran. This is what they've been saying all along. He comes and he says the downing of the F-16 last Saturday is a game changer. Yeah, it's going to be a game changer, but it's not going to be the type of change that you are thinking about. You may go down like an F-16 if you continue the policies, you and your kingdom. And then in, in, the mid, in the midst of all of these developments, what type of talk, what type of communication is going on in that rotten regime, in that decaying kingdom? What type of communication is going on? Well, you have one of the members of their high commission of ulama. He's speaking about the robe that women wear. And he's saying it's not necessary for women to wear that black robe that covers their whole body. You can wear a hijab with another style. And he actually said 90% of the Muslimat in the world do not wear the same type of dress or hijab that Saudi women wear. Why do we have these types who just 10, 15, 20 years ago were making it a litmus test for women to wear that type of black clad clothes all over them? That was their test of a Muslimah. Now they're saying, what happened? These type of ulama, they're blowing with the wind. The political winds right now are drifting in the direction of a liberal society, a liberal Islam. And so they begin to utter statements like this. For the first time now, the attorney general, and can you believe it? A kingdom, for, we hear that it has some type of attorney general's office. Right now they are recruiting women for the first time. And the people who speak about human rights and women's rights and feminists and all, where's everyone around when it comes to that disintegrating regime? Where are they? It's good that we know who they are and what they stand for. And then another fat 
another person, another scholar issues a fatwa that it's all right to exchange letters of affection and red roses on the day of Valentine, the 14th of February, this last Wednesday, was Valentine's Day. And now one of their official scholars is telling them there, there's nothing wrong with that because this is not a religious holiday. There's no violation of a religious principle. Compare this statement that was just said by one of their mouthpieces with what they were saying just a few years ago about Valentine's Day and what some of them are still saying. Remember, the world over there is preparing for a war. It could be World War III. And they're speaking about Aba'a and Red Roses and Valentine's Day. All of this has caused a stir in that. And then uh, uh, these, especially around here, there are Islamic centers and there are individuals who have some type of attachment to the Saudi regime. Well, one of their scholars there has been in prison since last September. Does anyone mention his name from the Manabir? These same ones, they're being paid by that regime. And some of them, they probably know him personally. They probably broke bread with him. And now he's behind bars. And it's as if he doesn't exist. Are these the types? Then we have, and this, this is, uh, I'll end it with this. This is something that Muslims, because of their inferiority, don't want to mention in their khutbas. During the Clinton administration, Dennis Ross one of these Zionist American Yehudis was the point man on the Middle East. He just came back from an extensive visit to Saudi Arabia and to Israel. These two places. And he says that even though Trump, and obviously I'm paraphrasing here, but the idea is Trump may not be popular here, but he's very popular over there, even though he's not doing enough to support Israel and Saudi Arabia. Just, we don't want to comment on this. We just want to say what he said. And we'll leave it up to you to understand who is the friend and who is the enemy. Allahumma arina al-haqqa haqqan warzuqna tiba'ah. وأرنا الباطل باطلا وارزقنا اجتنابه ولا تجعله ملتبسا علينا واجعلنا للمتقين إماما اللهم اهدنا فيمن هديت وعافنا فيمن عافيت وتولنا فيمن توليت وبارك لنا فيما أعطيت وقنا شر ما قضيت فإنك تقضي ولا يقضى عليك وإنه لا يذل من واليت ولا يعز من عاديت تباركت ربنا وتعاليت
فلك الحمد على ما قضيت نستغفرك ونتوب إليك وصلى الله على محمد وآل محمد بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والعصر إن الإنسان لفي خسر إلا الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر ومن أظلم ممن منع مساجد الله أن يذكر فيها اسمه وسعى في خرابها أولئك ما كان لهم أن يدخلوها إلا خائفين لهم في الدنيا خزي ولهم في الآخرة عذاب عظيم إن الله يأمر بالعدل والإحسان وإيتاء ذي القربى وينهى عن الفحشاء والمنكر والبغي يعظكم لعلكم تذكرون ولذكر الله أكبر والله يعلم ما تصنعون وأقم الصلاة أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله أشهد أن محمد رسول الله حي على الصلاة حي على الفلاح قد قامت الصلاة قد قامت الصلاة الله أكبر الله أكبر لا إله إلا الله 